everybody, and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 133rd episode of the podcast, airing April 4th, 2022. Now, in this episode, I'm pleased to welcome special guest Hannah Kuhari to join me in a discussion on the prenatal eclipse where Hannah and I start out our chat ruminating on the nature of eclipses and the characteristics of the Taurus-Scorpio eclipses that are just weeks away. We then segue into talking about the importance of the eclipses that took place before the time of your birth and how they play an integral role in destined life experiences and what some may call karma. A fascinating talk indeed with a wormhole or two you'll most likely want to go down. Now, to see us step through the eclipse charts and the celebrity example charts as we talk, you can tune into the video version of this episode on YouTube. Now, if you'd like to support this program, feel free to leave a tip or to book a personal consultation over at energeticprinciples.com. You can also sign up for my monthly transit newsletter titled The Heavenly Wind, which I just released the April edition. So if you go over and sign up soon, I will send out a second round of that in a few days. Now, also, did you get a chance to watch uh, the Aries Equinox Activation Workshop that Christina Caudill and I hosted on the Equinox? The activation plan and mission formulation is actually just getting started with the aspects that are currently in the skies. So if you didn't get a chance to view it and download our PDF worksheet, Nine Steps to Activating Your Aries Mission, you can still do so. All you have to do is click the link in the podcast description to purchase this juicy walkthrough workshop for just $22. And I'm very pleased with the feedback that we've received for this workshop so far, so I'm pretty sure you won't regret it. Wink, wink. Now, just another note, uh, my dear friend Spencer Michaud is has rounded the Zodiac Bend to start his three-part series on the Decans of Spring. Uh, and so we have a, or we, I guess Spencer does, I'm, I'm there in spirit. Um, he will be doing the Aries webinar on Saturday, April 9th at 1 p.m. Eastern. And this is titled Integrative Divination, the Decans of Aries. And so this is a two-and-a-half-hour interactive online workshop where he dives deeply into the esoteric meanings, the diamonds, the tarot syncretizations, and fixed stars that are associated with each 10-degree section of Aries. So if you uh, have Aries planets, if you know Aries people, or you are an astrologer and want to deepen your uh, you know, understanding of the sign of Aries, you are not going to want to miss this webinar. So you can go over and sign up in the description of this podcast, and you can either sign up for Aries season for $45, or you can get the full three-part spring bundle for $125. But of course, you're going to want to use my special code EP20 to get 20% off either one of those options. So once again, to sign up, the link is in the description of this podcast. All right. So who is ready to hear all about the prenatal eclipse? Here we go. Now let's meet our guest. All right. I am so happy to welcome to the program here today. We have Hannah Kuhari with us here. Thanks for joining me, Hannah. Thanks for having me, Mel. Well, sure it, 
just chatting <laughs> about the stars. Yes. You know, that we chat about the stars a lot on Instagram. And so this is actually my first time getting to see Hannah face to face in the, uh, the zoom world, at least, you know, uh, or screen to screen, I guess we could say <laughs> we are screen to screen live for the first time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Hannah and I have kind of, um, not exactly, but we kind of have reverse charts. Uh, and so yeah, we always kind of yeah. talk about our, uh, are me being the Scorpio rising her being the Taurus rising mm-hmm. and kind of, um, where that meets. And especially now that we have eclipse season coming here soon, yes. where we're both going to be activated. Yeah. It's going to be a big year, <laughs> big year of change, big year of, I don't even know. I don't even know what to expect because we've got Uranus playing a big role <laughs> here too. So, you know, keeping an open mind. Right. That's a good way to start. You know, that's the, the thing with the Uranus is it's like, how flexible are you? How well do you deal with what you don't know or have control over? <laughs> uh, I have a lot of fixed, fixed placements, so not great. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so strange having all the fixed placements that I do, but then having Uranus on the ascendant, it's kind of like, yeah, it's it's weird. There's so many parts of me that are very fixed, but there's other parts that are trying to like break that up all the time. Or if I encounter that outside of me or like something that tries to fix or like put it in a box, I'm like, no, it can't be that you can't control me like this, you know, and I'm like, I can only control me. (laughs) Um, so it's funny how that works, but, uh, I invited Hannah here today, actually to talk about the prenatal eclipse, which is something that has not been discussed on the podcast before. Um, and is definitely a topic on the lips of many astrologers mouths. Um, and, but also a lot of the, uh, the technique that a lot of people don't know about or might not mm-hmm. use. Um, so I found it the perfect time as we get, we're like inching ever closer to eclipse season that we bring up another facet of eclipses. Um, but before we even get to start, you know, any of this eclipse business, Hannah, who are you, where are you located? What do you do? Tell us more about you. Thank you. This is such a fun topic. I'm really excited to dive in. It's going to be, I feel like it's going to be a really juicy episode, but for introduction's sake, my name is Hannah Kuhari and I'm a working psychic medium and also a professional astrologer. Um, and so I feel like I have kind of a unique lens of how I use astrology. Um, in fact, in regards to the eclipses and a lot of the more karmic implications of the chart really started with a lot of my work with the Akashic records and working, um, with past life material with my clients. And I started noticing that there were a lot of correlations, what was coming up during these readings with my clients, then cross-referencing them to their chart. So, um, down the rabbit hole, I went with my Gemini North node, and that's really been a fascinating area of study for me. But, um, I have two daughters. I currently live in Kansas city, Missouri. I'm moving to Omaha, uh, Nebraska this summer. So, yeah, I mean, why not just throw a move into everything else that's going on? Yeah, you know what? (laughs) Usually when you have angular eclipses, that can tend to happen. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. So that's where I'm at right now. Well, that is, uh, I'm so interested to hear about your studies with that as well. I guess that's why I invited you on the podcast. Um, but you know, it's so funny when we get a rabbit hole that like you, you see all these correlations and things start to add up and it's just like, like I would imagine Einstein, like looking into his mind and having all these, like, uh, just projected visions off, you know, like (laughs) that are in the screen of our mind and like that detective, 
Yeah, you're Scorpio. Aren't you Scorpio? You're Scorpio. I am. I'm a Scorpio right? son. Yeah. So, I mean, give me all the rabbit holes. Yes. I, yeah. It's like that natural investigator. It's like the you have like the CSI, uh, you know, whiteboard in, in your third eye, basically, where it's like, borderline yes. <laughs> obsession. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, I'm all, I am here for obsession. As long as it's healthy, I think, you know, a lot of times when we're obsessed with something in a, a remotely healthy, way. It just helps us to become really adept at it, essentially. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, my, my son is ruled by Mars and Virgo. So, you know, we've got, oh. we've got polishing and, you know, we got to still do things the right way. Um, so I feel like we're in good company here with our, <laughs> our synergy and our, and our placements. Perfect. I love it. Okay. So, all right. The first thing we're going to talk about here before we even get into the prenatal eclipse, is just the importance of eclipses in general. Um, and to, you know, to give a little precursor to the eclipses that are coming in the sky, which, uh, we have a solar eclipse coming up on April 30th yeah. and yeah, it's literally right around the corner. Um, like to pull up, might as well pull up the chart for this one Yeah, as we, as we chat about it for a second. Um, and so I, cause I feel like I'm like, wait, here we have some Taurus Scorpio energy together on the podcast. We can't not talk about the eclipses for a few minutes before we dive into it. Um, but I mean, in, in your work of just looking at eclipses in general, mm-hmm. what have, uh, I mean, what are the importances of the eclipse energy in, in your mind? Like what do eclipses really bring to the table? I think they're harbingers of change. Um, and you know, from a traditional lens, I think eclipses get a bad rap and we can imagine, um, you know, our ancestors looking up at the sky and seeing the sun suddenly darken you know, and how terrifying that must've been. So I, I definitely, I definitely empathize with, you know, our, our ancestors to, you know, trying to figure out what the heck was going on, but there is this kind of, um, karmic, uh, milestone or checkpoint. I feel like that occurs when there is an eclipse, there's oftentimes a shift in timelines. And that's something that I hear a lot just in chatter, but also through, um, you know, my work with my clients as well as they feel like time, just dissolves or it rapidizes or it slows down. It just becomes so much more malleable, um, especially that portal between eclipses. And so I feel like our relationship with time really changes when we are um, in that, that, that eclipse portal. And I do feel like eclipses can really mark a specific time or chapter in our life that could be significant, um, whether those are endings or beginnings, um, but they usually mark some kind of major importance in our growth. Um, so that's at least how I, I feel they've, you know, surfaced for me in my life and my work. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to interpret ecliptic energy. Absolutely. And, you know, I totally agree with you with the, the harbinger of change basically, because it's, it's like our by yearly portal that opens that like, you know, that reminds you that, you know, there is no constant in life, but change. (laughs) Um, and it's so interesting to think about eclipses, uh, about to kick off here in Taurus and Scorpio, because these are fixed energies and what's, what signs dislike change the most, (laughs) probably in the, yeah, probably the fixed ones, especially Taurus, you know, you think about Taurus, it's hard to move a bowl. Like (laughs) as as we we well know, um, so there's an interesting quality, uh, to that. And really it's going to depend 
how everybody's going to feel a change, whether that is a drastic change, uh, drastic is such a dramatized word, but I'm going to use it anyways, <laughs> uh, drastic change in your own life, or you really feel it outside of you because there's, it's your life might not shift in crazy ways. If the eclipse isn't really configured to your chart as much, but you're going to notice all around you because you see friends that go through it, family members, world, uh, you know, political situations and, and societal situations. And it becomes really clear that, you know, something has opened, you know, this vortex has, has sucked us into this. I love yeah. how you said this timeless energy, because it really does feel like that, especially between the portal, um, mm-hmm. which is going to be April 30th through about May 16th, give or take. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, which end is up, which way is up? <laughs> to, to yeah. It's like, it's like those two weeks between Christmas and new year's where you're like, what, what day is it? What do I do with my life? What, what's going on here? Um, but you know, eclipses as well from just a really straightforward, um, you know, perception is that they are a disruption in our normal lunar pattern. And so when we think about just how we're going through regular lunar cycles and having you know, new moons and then our quarter moons and our full moons and vice and, you know, and so on. When we have eclipses, there is a major disruption in that pattern. And so that's where I feel like that change really comes from is that disruption of what we normally think of as, you know, pretty predictable cycle. And so of course we want to find meaning for that disruption Well, where, you know, how does this, how does this develop in my life? Or like you were saying in my environment, in my community. Um, and I feel like with solar eclipses in particular, there's kind of a six month window that kind of ripples out after the eclipse where we really start to notice those shifts taking place and manifesting. Whereas I feel with lunar eclipses, we have a little bit less time but because we're doing more of that immediate integration or reflection, or, you know, we're, we're really going inwards to feel um, into whatever those changes or, um, you know, shocking or erratic events could be that could be taking place. So I just wanted to mention that the, the point of disruption, I think is, is um, a good word to use for eclipses, especially with this cycle, because of, um, Uranus being the ultimate disruptor here. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Such a major role in, in, um, in this eclipse narrative and the storyline. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, the sea yeah. plays out. Absolutely. And the, and I think that like the almost blessing to this, when, when we think about, cause there's just, there's this disruption and there's disruption, <laughs> you know, there's right. like, there's different levels of this rush disruption. And the interesting thing about Taurus is that I think think that the disruption is taking place in something that is really rooted and very, very long-standing, but there's almost this so much precursor energy to it that it'll still be disrupting and what has to change, but it's not going to be like as out of the blue, I think, as uh, some Uranus transits can be because, you know, we just went through 2021 with Saturn Uranus square. So we got to, we have to really understand, you know, Uranus and Taurus and where that is sitting in our, you know, our charts, especially if you have a fixed uh, rising sign, such as ourselves with that Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, or Aquarius, you're probably feeling it more than most, but I think we're all feeling it in some way because wherever Taurus is in our lives, there is a, there tends to be a pretty stable component there. Um, maybe not always, but, or we're at least we're looking for stability 
in that area of our chart. So, um, so it, it might be a disruption that you knew was coming, but Hey, you can know something's coming for a long time, but when it's here, it doesn't mean it's not jarring or it doesn't ask you to change or think differently or upgrade or evolve, you know, like, right. Right. Yeah. So wherever Taurus is in your chart has already been going, undergoing some form of, of dramatic change. And I think the, the metaphor that I think of with the disruption for Taurus, actually I I got from um, Melanie Reinhardt and she talks about eclipses. And I feel like this is perfect, especially for the earth signs for fixed earth is as an earthquake. You know, you think of like the earth, the trees, um, you know, the natural world being so rooted into the soil, the bedrock and mother earth, you know, needing to stretch her legs every once in a while. Otherwise the status quo would just be carrying on for eons. And so she's stretching her legs and kind of, you know, moving herself around a little bit. And that shakes up the earth. There needs to be some kind of movement in, you know, in the terra and the, the, the bedrock, you know, in, in the soil to make room for new growth. Otherwise everything would be suffocated at some point. So I think that's, that's maybe a nice way to, to, to think about this. And I know in my experience, at least with this upcoming eclipse, um, I'm a Taurus rising and my rising is at 10 degrees. So this is major eclipse for me. Um, but I've had Uranus hanging out near my ascendant for, for a while. And so I feel like there has been a lot of personal changes going on in my life, but I feel like the eclipses are just that, that catalyst to continue to really make real a lot of the changes that may have been more internal that are now going to be carrying out into the more practical areas of my life. Yeah. And I, I love that you bring that up practical areas of your life, right? Cause this is fixed earth. You know, we're going to see results on a material plane. It's not concepts or inspiration or feelings. I mean, there's some feelings in there. Obviously it's an eclipse. Um, but for the most part, what we're going to see is manifestation. We're going to be able to see it, feel it, touch it, um, and experience it, uh, in our, you know, bodily vessels basically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's exciting. I mean, I, I feel you I've had this, uh, I've had a lot of Uranus activations, um, squaring basically the, the Saturn Uranus square, uh, was creating a tense T square with my, uh, Mercury Jupiter conjunction, um, oh. and in the, in the fourth house and in the seventh house. And so there's a lot of partnership activity. There's oh, a lot yeah. of, uh, and so my, even last night, you know, I'm in a Venus, t- uh, time Lord year, seventh house year. So of course Uranus is hanging out there. My partner's yep. like, cause we're supposed to move. And he's like all grumbly because we're not making progress there. Um, and so he's like questioning everything and like feeling down. And, and he's like, I have to move forward. I'm like, okay, well, well, you know, I'm not the only one moving, but we got to do this together. Like it's yeah. like, he's playing the role of Uranus to disrupt and shake it up. But I'm like, totally. but I'm like Saturn, like, well, you, everyone has to show up. We got to have a plan. Like change just doesn't happen because you want it to, we have right. to like do something towards it. So it's, it's like feeling, you know, cause Venus is going to be very important here. Yes. Um, obviously because she is the ruler of Taurus and that's the one thing I really like about this eclipse is that we have Venus and Jupiter sitting together, both in places of dignity in Pisces. Now, granted, Neptune's kind of close and Neptune, you know, there's always, that's always a wild card in its own yeah. right. Uh-huh. Um, but what, what do you think about that backing of Pisces with this eclipse? Yeah, I like this eclipse. If I can even say that I like 
eclipse, you know, I feel the same way, <laughs> but it's nice. Um, and you know, comparing all four that we're having this year, I would say this one rises to the top for me. Um, the other ones, not so much, but yeah. this one, I think there is some really nice energy. The fact that, yeah, we do have Uranus, um, you know, so close to our actual sun moon conjunction, there's always room for surprises, but something that I feel like has really been relevant in my life, probably because of this Uranus influence is that surprises aren't a bad thing. And it's important to leave room to be surprised because sometimes those surprises can bring in things that we never even imagined. You know, if we're so set on having things be a certain way that we're not leaving room for something even better to come in, you know, we're, we're missing out on a really amazing opportunity. And I feel like that's also beautifully backed with that Piscean quality, especially in the third decan of doing whatever it takes to fulfill a, a hope or a wish or a dream. Um, but also needing to realize when we have to just kind of release and let go and let God, so to speak. Um, but I do love the Venus and um, Jupiter backing of, of this eclipse. I mean, they're in the exaltation degree for Venus. So that's really beautiful. I hope that this could be a potential healing chapter or portal for the collective, that this could be an opportunity to make change that could instigate greater compassion or healing, um, or just to get in touch with our more sensual sides and, and sensual being in the sense of, of senses, you know, of how do I feel in my body? What has been going on for the last year or two that maybe I've been repressing or, you know, pushing down or not allowing to come out. And, um, where have I kind of been numbed by things that I need to come back into having some kind of primal connection with again? Um, so I don't know. I, I, I am hopeful with this, with this eclipse, um, that this could be, you know, a really beautiful, fresh start, something that could be liberative, help us break through where we're feeling stagnant or where we're feeling uninspired. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one. <laughs> And I will just say selfishly, I'm glad this one is the one that's on my ascendant, not the one, the Taurus one later. Um, no. Hey, you know, that's so you're like, thanks. Thank you, universe. Thanks for like, giving me, you know, if, it, if it's gotta be something, it's I'll take this. Um, but I think hopeful is a good word for it because that's essentially the high side of Pisces. There's this, uh, there's a hope and a, and a faith component. Um, and uh, you know, the idea of healing through letting go and, and, and transitioning, um, and bonding too, you know, Pisces is very much emerging sign and it makes me, uh, think that there'll be just more opening and connecting. And I mean, we're kind of wounded as people after a couple of years of a pandemic uh, and where, you know, we meet the community and the world at large as, as individuals, you know, what do we have, you know, that's a, the uh, Aquarius component to it, obviously. Mm -hmm. And Saturn is square, the, the, the nodes basically right. in this chart yeah. too. So there's still that kind of presence lurking in the background, but it makes me feel like there's hope for more opening and more connection and more arts and entertainment and, um, and finding that because, you know, when the world is so serious, I know everybody been talking about, you know, the Will Smith, Chris rock thing and everybody's yeah. like, <laughs> and I saw a great thing by Russell brand talking about, you know, like what's behind this is it's hard to look at this pageantry of a show and like this, you know, this fantasy world 
of celebrity and, and when so much is going on in the world and we've been through so much it like it, like you can't like the it's almost like the trauma has to infiltrate there too because it's like you can't really get away from it because we're evolving as people into something else and like what we found find pleasure in or in entertainment or enjoyment like that's shifting too um and i mean that's essential nature of mutability is it right. is a transitioning energy it's it wants to take us from one uh you know closing experience to uh introduce us to the cardinal that comes next so uh it, it's an interesting combination but i'm with you if there's one eclipse this year that i'm like okay you come on clips come on come on in um it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be this one yeah now uh as hannah stated earlier uh about kind of like that, that six month um you know window to which solar eclipses open for us one of the things we always want to look at is for an activation is going to be when Mars hits that point. So right. just as like a reference, you know, for those of you who like to track time, mm-hmm. like myself, uh, that's going to be July 20th, actually right before the North Node uh, and Mars and Uranus all meet. Um, Mm -hmm. at the end of the month on July 31st. So there's really the last bit of July. If you want to look to some serious um, activity with this particular eclipse, um, that is going to be the time. (laughs) So, yeah. So that all that Uranus bit that we were talking about earlier and that disruption and being ready for whatever is going to shift there, uh, July is calling your name. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we won't go into too much more, but let's just touch for two seconds on the eclipse of May 16th. Uh, it could be May 15th if you're here on the Pacific coast. Um, but it's, it straddles the midnight zone. Um, but that one's going to be, uh, it's going to be total. It's uh, where the first one is partial. And so this is such an interesting, so here we had, you know, Venus and, um, Jupiter and Neptune all gathering as an indicator of the solar eclipse. Here we move on to the Scorpio eclipse and we've got the ruler Mars conjunct Neptune uh, in Pisces. And that that in itself is such an interesting configuration too. What do you you make of of this eclipse? This is so messy. (laughs) (laughs) It does feel messy. It's so messy. We've got, you know... The moon, the moon, any kind of lunar eclipse in Scorpio is going to be emotionally messy anyway, because the moon is in its fall. So, you know, that's, that's just kind of one thing that we can't get, we can't get beyond here. Um, you know, Saturn is in its square again, between, between the luminaries here in a, in a rock and a hard place. Um, I, when I looked at this chart, what came up was emotional congestion. Um, mm. And maybe it's because it's allergy season here. So this is like front <laughs> <in> my mind, <laughs> but it really is about emotional purging and bringing whatever needs to come up to the surface. I think, especially over the last two years, you know, who hasn't been affected by the pandemic by, you know, things that have been going on globally in some way, whether that's in a physical way or emotional way. Um, there's a lot of collective grieving that needs to that needs to happen, I think, for progress and change to to occur. And this is one of those lunar eclipses where I feel like 
you know, if you need to just lock yourself in the bathroom and cry in the shower, let it go. Um, this is the time to do it. And it's, it's not going to be with some kind of set strategy. You know, Mars is conjunct Neptune ruling this, um, this eclipse and Mars with Neptune here is like, I'm feeling sensitive. I'm feeling, um, like my emotions are heightened. I'm, I'm feeling a little defensive and I'm really confused about like, what do I do with all these feelings? So I think it's one where we should be spending some time privately to really process what is coming up for us. What is getting in the way of us being able to move ahead with um, more practical expressions of healing, you know, how we can be more constructive with and through our grief and also how we can be extending maybe greater compassion towards other people through, um, through these kinds of interpersonal interactions. So I, I think this one's going to be a, a tender one. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a tender one. It's definitely a tender one. I like how you had a, almost a Freudian slip there where you're like, Mars is ruining, <laughs> Mars and Neptune is ruining this. <laughs> and I'm like, it's ruling and ruining um, yeah. at the same time. I mean, that, that's what Mars' specialty is. Mars, Mars loves to ruin. It's like, Ooh. what can we destroy? Um, but <laughs> I, you know, I, I totally agree with you there. And especially since the moon itself is in a trine to that Mars-Neptune configuration and the sun there too, um, you know, and essentially that Mars Neptune has a, a sextile going on to the nodes as well. And I feel like, I feel like, you know, when we have such a, a nice eclipse that comes forward with the solar eclipse and here we have these open doors and things want to move on and move forward. Um, it's hard to move forward when there's messy business still lurking in the background. You know, yeah. if you're still holding on to certain emotional content, um, you know, look to whatever Scorpio rules in your chart, you know, uh, same with Pisces there. And of course, Taurus, uh, and, you know, I throw in Aquarius cause no one's getting away from that. Um, you know, <laughs> but especially, <laughs> especially this kind of, uh, water trine of Scorpio and Pisces and kind of, uh, I think it's going to be where a lot of that emotional content can come up. And, um, I, you know, I, everybody needs a good cry from some time to time, it's very personal. You know, we think about Mars, Mars is that the independent planet it's out for its own needs. It's not that Venusian quality of the solar eclipse. That's like, okay, we're together. What am I uniting with? What's partnership? Who am I partnering with? What, uh, are, you know, how that Mars is like, what are my needs? What am I going after? What's my motivation? And I'm moving towards my motivation. And am I sad because I'm like, here I am fusing with my dreams, but there's all this other stuff that is keeping me, uh, from that, um, or emotion or, you know, there there's this dream component, you know, cause I feel like Mars and Neptune, let's be real. Like Neptune can dissolve and, and dissipate. So, and Mars cuts. So there, if something falls away, that can be very, you know, emotionally disruptive and traumatic in our lives, but, um, you know, it could be a necessary part of that kind of like you, what you were stating earlier about the, you know, this opening and how we have, you know, we have to release some of the past and what we've been and what old plans and old setups in order to move towards the new. So, um, you know, like to let go and let God, I guess or <laughs> we could yeah. say here. 
I think, you know, what's also interesting is that Mars and Jupiter in this charter and mutual reception with Jupiter having now moved into Aries at this point. And, you know, I think it's, rem- it's Mars looking to, to, to Jupiter and vice versa. And remembering that like healing is a very much a part of our individual journeys and, you know, getting in touch with those more emotive parts of ourselves is also how we construct ourselves as individuals. You know, our feelings are very much a part of the textural fabric of our, of our unique sovereign selves. And, um, if we just, you know, bypass a lot of that, that unfortunately, you know, sensitive material, um, it's going to bubble back up. And I think that that is one of the lessons of eclipses in general is that if we are not doing our ecliptic, um, uh, lessons correctly, if we're not heeding the, the warning signs or, you know, the messages from the divine, so to speak, then they're going to, they're going to cycle back next time the nodes come around. So, um, you know, that's why it is really interesting with eclipses in general to note patterns and to think back about, you know, what you were doing last time the nodes were in this access, you know, what, what were you being challenged by at that point in your life? And, um, you know, how were you working through that, uh, you know, that stuff that was coming up for you versus now, you know, what has changed for you? What have you learned in those 18 years that can now serve you as you're being kind of reoriented with perhaps similar themes or challenges or circumstances in your life too? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as they say, hindsight's twenty twenty. So you can look back, you know, 18 and a half years ago, or even uh, a little over nine, if you want to see the reverse um, yes. kind of nodal action, because you'll see, you'll, you'll see themes, they'll be a little different, but it, you'll see this, you know, kind of uh, the same activations. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, and it's so interesting to piggyback off what you're saying with, you know, the healing, the natural, you know, the, the individual, uh, component and having Mars and Jupiter kind of ping ponging off each other in, uh, their, you know, each signs respectively, uh, having the sun's ruler Venus, you know, in her, uh, detriment there on Chiron, you know, like more Aries activity, Jupiter being on the Aries point on the world point, you know, right. there's a lot going on in the world. It's, yeah. uh, there, there's a lot tied into, um, once again, these new beginnings, right. You know, Aries, oh, the Aries point, this is a, this is a fresh start. And so a lot of times things that don't facilitate that fresh start and they can be painful or bring up triggers and wounds, especially around, uh, you know, relationships around being able to cooperate and compromise and still have your own, uh, self feel like it is, you know, connected and, and motive and like inspired in life when, with what you're meeting and pairing up with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting, uh, configuration. But that being said, let us talk about, uh, our actual, our actual topic of the day. You know, <laughs> I, I need to like wax poetic on something else until for how long until we get to the actual topic. Um, but let's talk about this prenatal eclipse business and what that means. These are eclipses before we are born that are right. impactful to our life story and mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. So Hannah, tell us what the prenatal eclipse actually is and why we should pay attention to it. 
Sure. Well, this is a big area where, I mean, really there's so much that you can dive into here and pull apart. Um, but in terms of the prenatal eclipse, this is the solar eclipse that occurs prior to our birth. So we're looking at the solar eclipse as being that infusion of, um, it could be karmic lessons, resources that we have available to us that can help us along our path in this lifetime. Um, the prenatal eclipse also reveals a lot of the karma that has been created in previous lifetimes where it can disclose perhaps karmic relationships or events that as individuals we might experience in our life. Again, it's going to help us on our evolutionary path. Um, so this is not a traditional astrological uh, 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 approach towards eclipses, but it's one that I have found to be really um, fascinating. And also there's a lot of just really interesting, I think, and surprising patterns when you start to um, look at your own chart, for instance. But um, it's always going to be the solar eclipse that you're going to look at as the prenatal eclipse itself. And because of the eclipse cycles, that's going to fall anywhere between, you know, the day before that you were born, or if you were born on an eclipse, it could be the day that you're born. Um, and it could back up to six months prior to your, to your birth. So um, the nodes may or may not be in your natal um, placement as well. So um, it's important to go back and take a look and see where that eclipse fell. And then also just to translate that to your natal chart, what house does that fall into for you? Does it make aspect to any of your natal uh, planets or um, angles? Um, and also the sign that it's in is, is really relevant. We can talk about that too, but that's the basic rundown um, about what, what exactly the prenatal eclipse is. That, well, of course, what comes to mind immediately, I'm thinking about if we're looking at the solar eclipse, um, because that's essentially triggering one side of the node. So is there a difference between whether the North node is being triggered or the South yeah. node? That's a great question. So in my, my study of this, I found that if there is a North node activation, that makes it um, a little bit easier for one to move through and to realize a lot of these karmic scenarios or karmic lessons. Basically, you have greater access to um, your, your resources, so to speak. With the South Node activation, there's a lot that's being brought in from the past, and so that can produce more challenges. Um, I don't want to say that if you're born with a solar eclipse in the South Node, that that's a major detriment to you, um, because we also have to look at whether it's a total, total solar eclipse, um, a partial or um, an annular solar eclipse too, because you know eclipses in general are interactions with light, right? So you've got the sun, the moon, and the earth, and those all represent a magnitude or a bigness of, of how that light is being shown. And you can think of the prenatal eclipse as a bridge of consciousness while we're still in the womb. I mean, this is energy that is being kind of infused upon us when we are still being gestated in our mother. So um, it's not necessarily a conscious part of our personality or a conscious part of our um, life experience right away, but it's something that starts to trickle out over time. And I do think of the energy of the, the prenatal eclipse as something that, you know, connects us to the ethers as well as our, our soul path or our soul growth. But, um, you know, eclipses are also going to have collective themes as well, since someone born around the same time as you would likely have the same um, you know, prenatal eclipse, but where it falls in the chart is how it's going to be, you know, significant for, you know, each individual. Yeah. And so, well, karma, it's a, it's a hot, hot, it's word, a hot, hot word. topic. 
karma. Yes. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, the implication of karma in these prenatal eclipses, right? Because yeah. before we even get here. So yeah. it seems like if, you know, how are these eclipses aligned with karma? Or maybe even before we even say that, what is, what is karma in your mind, Hannah? What yeah. is karma to begin with? So I think we, ha- it's a good idea to, to clarify when we're using terms like karma, what that exactly implies, because in Hinduism and Buddhism, um, you know, karma is in reference to the sum of a person's um, actions in this and previous lifetimes or previous states of existence that helps to decide the future or their fate. Um, In modern conversation, you know, many people refer to as karma as simply another way to define fate or destiny or um, spiritual cause and effect. So I don't want to restrict karma to having to be a certain way. I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to use this word in a more modern um, application as an association from what we're bringing to the past that could be experiencing into the future. And as I mentioned at the beginning of our, of our chat, that I work a lot in the Akashic records and something that I, I'm choosing to kind of draw in here is karma as it relates to soul contracts. So, um, that's basically assuming that our souls have particular lessons or experiences that they want, or we want to experience in this lifetime through incarnation that we sign up to experience. And that can also be um, understood as the karma, so to speak, that could be coming up in, in your chart. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be different for everybody, but I think talking about the prenatal eclipse, you have to be comfortable with this idea of, um, previous lifetimes, past, past incarnations. Um, you know, I know I'm sure that there will be some people that will listen to this and be a little bit like, I don't know about this with astrology, but you know, it's, um, it's, it's a really interesting concept and one that I've just been open to, to kind of rolling with. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's investigate, see how it, how it sits with you. Um, and really I <laughs> go from there. I do find it interesting with the solar eclipse. Um, because is there, because I was looking at the prenatal eclipse for myself mm-hmm. and, the solar eclipse was at seven degrees Pisces on what was South node eclipse, but it wasn't the most recent one. The one re- most recent to my birth was the lunar eclipse uh, at 27 degrees of Virgo. And when I was doing all my research of like activation, it seemed to me like that was the one that was really playing out later in my life of like uh-huh. things coming together. So is there any, like, is there any I don't, I don't know. Maybe I need to study the, the solar eclipse one, but I was under the impression that it was like the most recent one before you were incarnated basically yeah, as a person. No, so you really want to look at the solar eclipse because, you know, the sun represents our consciousness. The sun represents our essence and our vitality. You know, the sun's experience is the hero's experience. It's the hero's journey. Whereas the moon is our reflection or our response to those circumstances or experiences. So the accompanying lunar eclipse is still important. And the accompanying lunar eclipse, I should also note, could happen prior to your birth, or if you were born in between eclipses, it could happen Mm. after your birth. Um, And it doesn't make a difference, but it will always be of the same series. And you can, there's lots of references. You can go look at your ephemeris. Um, you know, there's resources online where you can take a look at the sorrow series and see what would have been the partnering eclipse. Um, 
But the accompanying lunar eclipse can give us additional information about how or what resources we have available to us to work through some of these um, karmic significations. But the solar eclipse prior to our birth is arguably the most important. So um, yeah, there's lots that you can, lots that you makes, can Makes total sense there. And of course my mind starts going, like, well, is there maybe important depending on what sect your chart is? You know, when we talk about primary luminaries, if we start to bring that in and really these are just topics of research, right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's hard to say what the right answer is, but it makes yeah. a lot of sense to think about the impact of the solar eclipse, obviously, because I mean, the sun is our our vitality. It's our, it's our right. spirit and what it's, what animates us and keeps us alive here. Um, and gives right. us, you know, that, that conscious direction of what we're, who we are and what we're here to do. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, so now do you have, I, I know you studied your own chart within this, uh, <laughs> have you, uh, what, what, where's your prenatal solar eclipse or, uh, any insights yeah. to share, uh, around sure. that? Well, I just also want to mention before I talk about the charts and the charting procedures is that the other, um, eclipse you want to look at is the initial eclipse. And so, um, this gets into the Cero series and this is the initial eclipse is basically the beginning eclipse of the family of eclipses that your prenatal eclipse would fall into. Um, how many times can I say eclipse? I don't think people should make this into <laughs> eclipse, eclipse, eclipse. <laughs> Every time she says eclipse, take a shot. Um, <laughs> you would be dead on the floor. Okay. So you're going to want to look at the initial eclipse. There's a, again, there's lots of resources that you can go and take a look and see what series or what family of eclipses, um, it falls into because that is basically kind of like the heritage, um, influence. Um, it's also just kind of interesting to take a look at the chart of the initial eclipse as well, to just kind of see how that plays into your own chart. So again, just another point that you can kind of, um, play with. Um, so with the charting procedures, I, I guess I'll just answer your question first off, Mel, which is that my <laughs> prenatal eclipse is at 19 degrees of Gemini. Um, and so it's very close to my natal North node, which is at, um, 16 degrees of, of Gemini. So it's not very far off of where I'm already having a lot of like, you know, lifetime activations. Um, and in my life or my experience, how this has shown up is that, um, my prenatal eclipse is on the descendant of my husband's chart. And I've actually got a lot of examples of this. Um, I see a lot of uh, of couples who have, um, the prenatal eclipse either on the ascendant or the descendant or in the seventh house of their partner. And something I just want to clarify about, you know, we're looking at synastry with other people's charts and how someone else's eclipse falls into our, our chart is to say that, you know, from the soul's perspective, again, using the word karma, if you have, um, you know, say in this lifetime, you're meant to cross paths or this person is going to be a catalyst for learning for you. It may not have that same relevance to the other person. And that's, that's not to say that if like your spouse's prenatal eclipse doesn't fall anywhere significant in your chart, that that means that you're not meant to be together or something like that. I look at it as, you know, where, where my eclipse falls triggers something or an experience for my spouse. Um, and so that's, that's, what's important. And his eclipse doesn't fall in my chart. So you know, there you go. Um, but I have another, 
<laughs> There's plenty of other stuff in there, but, um, I, yeah. um, but I had another previous relationship before my husband that really, uh, had a major impact in my life. This individual had a huge impact in my life. Um, and their son is conjunct my prenatal eclipse. Mm. Um, so yeah, I look at the moon and the sun in particular, and I will just say from, you know, if you're looking at your own chart and you want to do this for orb, I like to keep within two, maybe stretch to three degrees. And I only look at conjunctions or oppositions with the prenatal eclipse. So, um, that's what I, that's what I use for aspect there. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah. so when we're talking about something that's a little more abstract like this, it doesn't kind of, you know, it's, we got to see what's like the strongest. It's right. <laughs> it's kind of well, like, a, textiles and, no, yeah. no, it's kind of like a same thing when we're looking at like solar arcs and stuff like that, you're yeah. looking for those, you know, essentially conjunctions, Correct. oppositions next, but conjunctions yeah. are like, woo. Major for sure. No, no ignoring that. Of course. Um, the, so when you were talking about the, uh, Sarah cycle and in the beginning of the family of eclipses, just for a reference, if anybody doesn't have this wonderful book by Bernadette Brady, uh, predictive astrology, the Eagle and the Lark, she has a wonderful reference. Uh, I know, look, look, we're twins. We're twinners. Yes. We're we're predicting together. Uh, Great book. It's a great book and it has at the end of it, um, a whole little, uh, appendice yes. that you can look up your, uh, this prenatal eclipse that we're talking yes. about the solar eclipse. And yes. it, you can see when the actual, uh, Sarah's cycle started there. And so of course, when you said that, I'm like, well, let me, I, let me grab this book. I have to know about myself. Jeez. Yes. Um, my yes. Leo was like, hurry up, find out. And it's funny to uh, think about too, because when you, when we're talking about these beginning of Sarah cycles, we're not talking like a couple hundred years ago. It might, if it's a new cycle, but a lot of times this is centuries. Thousands. Yeah. Like a long time. And so yeah. I have my uh, solar eclipse, prenatal solar eclipse was under, um, uh, Sarah's cycle 17 South, which started on May 27th of 9:33. you know, pu- pulling it back. <laughs> um, and I find it very interesting actually that the beginning of the cycle, the, the, cause we're dealing with a solar eclipse, right. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. the, the sun and the moon was at nine degrees of Gemini, which is my Mars and the ruler of my chart. So it's interesting to think about the whole beginning of the cycle, uh, starting on a planet that is a, so important to me and actually happens to be at the exact bending of my nodes to begin with. Um, so we're, uh, and what's nice about Bernadette, she adds a little kind of, she'll tell you what, uh, midpoints were there, um, and what kind of the signatures was like mine was a Jupiter. Uh, Jupiter equals new moon in Uranus, uh, Venus, Pluto node and Mercury, Venus, and says the issues with this family of eclipses are of sudden success in group projects or personal relationship matters, happiness and love thinking of love matters, <laughs> good news concerning relationships or creative expression with a group. And I mean, honestly, that explains a lot of my life. My, this, the prenatal eclipse actually is in my fifth house <laughs> in Pisces oh, yeah. and it has to do with, you know, creativity and, right. and I've had good luck and love relationships and not always, not, no one always has it, but you know, there's, it could be worse. Um, yeah. and so it's interesting to read those little, 
that little blurb too, which yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, South Node. But I'm like, I'll take that. Yes. My initial, <laughs> I think my initial eclipse was at 22 Libra. Um, so that one's super close to, um, uh, what's the fixed star there? Is it Spica? Oh, Spica. Yeah. Yeah. At 21 degrees. So that's kind of a signature of a lot of those eclipses. And, um, actually if I want to bring my husband's chart back into this, his sat, his Saturn is 22 degrees of Libra. Um, and you know, a lot of people when they're also interpreting charts do look at Saturn for, um, for karmic significance. So, you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you could make some arguments there, um, there as well. So yeah, it is really interesting and, um, kind of fun to just, you know, to apply different techniques. Again, this is an area of astrology. That's not there. It's kind of like the wild West. There is no one way where, you know, you have to follow a particular, um, you know, delineation outside of just kind of these basic significances of the solar eclipse being the most important. Take a look at the lunar eclipse. Also take a look at the, the initial, um, Rose Lyman has, has written a couple books, um, about the prenatal eclipse and eclipses in general. She also identifies something called the key planet, which is the planet that would have been rising after the eclipse in the chart. And she argues that the, the key planet also holds a lot of information about your most recent past life, as well as how you might have passed. Now, I haven't done a lot of exploration with that. I, for whatever reason, it just doesn't, doesn't quite grab me. I feel <laughs> that the significance in the chart is really more related to, um, again, the play of light of, of being with the sun and the moon here and, and the eclipses themselves, as well as the rulers of the eclipse, I also find to be um, important energies to look at in the chart, especially through transits and progressions. So, um, note the sign that the chart, or excuse me, that the, the eclipse falls into, because that's going to describe, um, you know, a lot of the themes in terms of the lessons or the experiences that you're going to be having in your life. Um, and the house position is defines, um, the, the, like the affairs, the, the circumstances, um, that you can use as a resource to, to deal with these more challenging, um, you know, circumstances or even the joyful ones in your life. So I don't, I, you know, don't look at the house that the prenatal eclipse falls into as a problem area. That's really important. It's not, it's, it's a resource, um, that you can draw from. And, and we have some, I have some really great examples to, that we can talk through too, that kind of show how um, people have used that, but yeah, it's, um, the, the sign is how we respond the, and the house is where we gain support or have resource, um, spiritual, spiritual support or resources. Mm, I like that. I like that. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to wrap my mind around the, uh, I'm still wrapping my mind around the South node and the North node influence and kind of thinking about the difference. And of course I'm going to have to go back, track the chart, look yep. for what was going on there. And I mean, this is kind of something we can talk about right now actually is the actual tracking of it. It's like, how, how do we see this manifest in our, you know, experience? Yeah. Um, so what are we looking, I'm assuming we're looking for transits, maybe progressions. What would you be looking for? Yeah. So I would start first of all, of identifying where it falls in your chart. So really basic, what house is it? Um, you know, is it near one of the angles? Is it conjunct one of your planets, especially the personal planets? Um, would be really important. And then what I like to do is actually pull up, um, again, an ephemeris, or if you've got software to take a look at the eclipses that may have fallen in your lifetime within, 
I would say two, two degrees of your prenatal eclipse, note the year and just start to think what was going on around that time in your life. Were you dealing with a major turning point? Were you dealing with, you know, a marriage, a birth of a child, a loss of a parent, you know, a new job, you know, something major in your life, what was unfolding for you at that time? That can be really significant. Um, I think progressions are particularly powerful with eclipses. And I chart especially the moon. The moon's obviously is going to move the fastest through the progress chart. And again, through my research, I have found with a lot of the um, historical and um, celebrity examples that the moon really triggers a lot of major um, karmic experiences, relationships, and turning points in the life that really relate to the kind of the promise or the the suggested promise of the prenatal eclipse. So that's where I would look. Um, that's where I would begin. And then, mm. you know, if you do identify a major lifetime experience that maybe you feel like, oh, there could be some significance here, pull up the transits for that time and see, you know, where was the moon? Where were the planets, you know, were they making aspect um, by conjunction or opposition um, to the prenatal eclipse as well? Yeah, I think that that's it. That's that secondary progressed moon is always a, a good one to watch because yeah. I mean, we're already talking about eclipse energies as it is. And, you know, the, the lunar cycle um, and especially maybe the phase of the, the secondary progressed moon, if you really want to kind of like hone in like details yeah. there could, pl- could play a role. but. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely something to uh, check, and I mean, I'm looking. Of course, I'm looking back. Of course, I'm already looking back. I'm already charting on my own. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my own chart here, and I see that I actually had the uh, the progressed moon on that point in spring of 2010, and that was a very pivotal year for me to mm-hmm. um, start uh, my own bands. And I partnered up with uh, with someone who I was in a romantic, you know, situation with, uh, to start a band that we ended up, uh, I mean, we're still into this day. Um, don't play as much as often, but it was like the beginning of something very big and very significant in my life. Um, that was playing out, especially in 2010 as a year as a whole. Um, but if I were to like, you know, and this is the great thing, this is what I'm always like, people journal, write down things that are happening in your life because you can really like go, even if it's just a line or two, you're like, I did this today, this day, this day, and that's it. Because if you like to track astrology and you want to really understand what was happening, even in the smallest facets of your life. And I know not everyone has Virgo place. It's like Hannah and I, but um, (laughs) you're going to get the meat of it because you're like, Oh, this led to this, led to this, led to this. Because what I feel like you're saying here is, you know, these are kind of inception points of something that can be very, you know, potent for the journey to continue more so than acute. It could be an acute situation, but it has an impact that is going to last with you or be developed, um, for quite some time after it's activated. Right. Yeah. These are experiences in our life that are not one and done. They are leaving an imprint, an energetic imprint in our life. Um, it could be a relationship that's something that you learn from that relationship, you know, helps to bring you to, you know, your spouse or helps to, you know, heal something in you, or maybe it's, you know, a, a really challenging breakup that helps you to connect with like your inner power and your resiliency. You know, there's, there's a lot of different experiences that can come up from, you know, looking at this kind of stuff. And that's, what's so fascinating. I think just looking from an individual perspective, 
um, of how this plays out in our lives and also relationships. Um, again, you, another thing you can do is to look at synastry between charts and to see how that, that plays out as well, which I particularly love to do being a seventh house son. I'm like, let's, let's bring in this union and take a look at how people are learning from each other. Um, but yeah, it is it, it, there. You could use traditional techniques applied to the prenatal eclipse. You know, you can use more of an esoteric lens, which is oftentimes what I do or an evolutionary lens. So it's fun to play around with. And again, to, like you're saying, to look back in time and to um, kind of reacquaint yourself with maybe something that happened that you didn't think twice about that you realized, oh, actually this was a really important day because it led me to be connected with this person. And, you know, again, it's down the rabbit hole you go. <laughs> down that rabbit hole. Down um, the rabbit hole. Where I like to be. I'm like, I just leave, leave me in the hole, you know? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, all right. So now that we've kind of like illustrated so many ways that you can interact with this chart, let's get into some of these juicy examples. I know Hannah's got some, uh, some charts Ooh. kicking around. Um, so yeah. I'm going to let her, if you're watching the video, we're going to share some charts. Um, if yeah. you're listening to the audio, follow along. We'll try to, uh, you know, be explicit of how we explain it uh, with our words. Yeah. Um, right. But, you know, that's the thing about astrology is it's like you, the best way to see it is in action. Yeah. Not so much the theory. Let's see how it's applied to someone. What's totally. their story. And that's, that's what celebrities are good for. Right. right exactly. yeah. um, because they're front and center. So we have, you know, and here's the thing is like with eclipses and the prenatal eclipse, it's going to be personal. So yeah. yeah, a lot of it, we will see in historical figures as like major milestones in their life, but there's also probably a lot going on behind the scenes that we're not privy to. So you know, we have to make some, maybe some assumptions here, but let's talk about Brittany. Um, she's a fascinating individual, um, who's been, you know, kind of back in the, in the media a lot this year because of the, you know, the, the ending of her conservatorship. Um, and she's, she has a chart that if you want to play with her progressions there and, and look at her chart, she has some really fascinating, um, uh, indications in her chart by progression. But I want to take a look at her chart in reference to her prenatal eclipse. So um, let me move these transits out here for a moment. So here's Brittany's chart. Um, she was born on December 2nd, 1981. She's um, a Sag sun. She's a Libra rising and she's got an Aquarius moon. And her prenatal prenatal eclipse um, occurred on July 1st of 1981 at seven degrees of Leo. So that would have fallen in her 11th house. Mm. The accompanying lunar eclipse happened January 25th of 1982. So after she was born and that's at four degrees of Aquarius in her fifth house. So she has the 11th and fifth house, um, uh, access that's being highlighted, um, um, for her prenatal eclipses and her initial eclipse was at 13 degrees of Capricorn, which is in her fourth house, which Interesting, um, as I jump ahead here just a second, her initial eclipse, that 13 degrees of Capricorn, is exactly conjunct her ex, Kevin Federline's IC. So I find that very interesting. Um, so she has her prenatal eclipse in Leo um, in the 11th house, which really demonstrates this need for leadership, taking authority in your life um, in karmic situations or afflictions. 
Um, it highlights creativity and self-confidence and vitality as being really positive assets that she can use. Um, and she's here in this lifetime to really recognize the difference between self-confidence and self-centeredness. Um, the sign of Leo for prenatal eclipses often corresponds with um, karmic relationships with your children or the um, or a paternal relationship, which we've seen, um, you know, with the <laughs> yes. <her> dad. <laughs> yeah. Uh. And it's interesting about the children because both of her sons have Saturn and Leo. In fact, her oldest son, Sean, um, his Saturn is at seven degrees of Leo, which is conjunct her prenatal eclipse. When mm, she had her first child, yes. During her Saturn return, uh, or um, actually during uh, Kevin's Saturn return, because his Saturn is also in also Leo. on her eclipse. <laughs> yes. So that's really interesting. Um, and the 11th house signification here is, you know, focus on fellowship, um, humanitarian causes, community, you know, having the opportunity to, to grow spiritually through a sense of belonging and um, putting the selfish desires aside, you know, um, social contracts are really important with this placement with the 11th house because it's through social support that one finds efforts um, or success in their karmic resolution. And I think of this as the free Britney movement, you know, like the free Britney movement rallying behind her as she's in her conservatorship, you know, people being concerned for her health and well-being. people talking about, have you seen Britney's, you know, Instagram or social media and being really concerned about, you know, what's going on in her personal life. Right. And by the time she starts to kind of put herself back out into the media, people are really advocating for her being able to live her life um, independently and outside of the restriction and the constriction of her, her, um, her dad and her conservatorship. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting that, you know, the social, the social support and even the kind of like a movement or a cause being helpful for, you know, her ability to find um, her own vitality and strength, her individual strength being really, really important. Yeah. Now, well, I, when ahead. I think of Britney too, I'm like, one of the things that she's known for, especially if you watch those uh, documentaries about her is that her ability to have, um, to be a leader and have creative control in her entourage and this, in the shows that she put up, like there was so much of Britney that was behind that. It, like, it wasn't someone creating that. Like she was the center of this magnanimous stage show and all the, all the, uh, her whole team that would bring that together. Like she had that vision, you know, you think about 11th house being a, uh, much like the ninth house, there's that kind of vision that goes along with it. Um, especially yeah. obviously having a son in Sagittarius ruling that, uh, eclipse area. That's a very visionary sign too. Um, and so that's just, and it's, that's a strength of hers, right. You know, yeah, and, it is. Yeah, and then that being taken away from her, at times and more controlled when it's like, wait, no, this is my kind of my superpower. And it's like, yeah. and it's cutting her off from her, her associates. And yeah, it's, and it's interesting to think about. Um, and obviously there was so much nodal action that was happening with her story, uh, in the Capricorn cancer. Um, yep. so I'm sure it all plays off together to give this whole big, um, you know, picture, of course that's astrology for you. <laughs> yeah. So looking at some of the subsequent eclipses that have occurred around that point, around her prenatal eclipse point are really interesting. So there was a solar eclipse in 2000, which is what I've pulled up here, a partial solar eclipse in um, 
in 2000 that occurred at eight degrees of Leo. So within a degree, um, less than a degree of her prenatal eclipse. This was a really interesting time in Brittany's life because this is during the time where, she, first of all, she's going through her nodal return, which the nodal return is always a really pivotal chapter in someone's life. Yes. Um, she had a major year this year and actually leading up to this year, she had just swept the Grammys the year before 2000 marked the release of her album. Oops. I did it again, which debuted at number one when it was released. She was a guest host on SNL. She performed um, for the second time uh, at the MTV music video awards. And this was the one where she was in that kind of flush toned outfit that was like dripping in rhinestones. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> She, she and I are like the sun. She was like shining and like sparkling. Yeah, (laughs) totally. And, um, she was also dating Justin Timberlake at this time. She and Justin were like America's sweethearts. You know, everyone loved them together because they were both came from the Mickey mouse club. They have this, you know, they're both pop stars. Um, you know, they were really these pillars of generations, at least for me, for my generation. Um, and her relationship with Justin, especially now what we know about her life actually served to be a really defining chapter for her coming into, coming into adulthood and her superstardom. Um, what's really interesting is Justin is a Leo rising. So you see this connection of energy here and Justin's North node is at 10 degrees of Leo. So it's within orb, two degree orb of Brittany's prenatal eclipse. And, um, you know, in a, I think in, I can't remember if it was in an interview or a book that came out about her, but she has come out to say that her breakup with Justin was like probably one of the most heartbreaking chapters of her life. And, you know, people making a lot of accusations about if she was, um, you know, cheating on him. And then he wrote this, you know, song, you know, cry me a river that I think she was really gutted about. And, you know, it was, it was her dealing with a lot of adult stuff in the public view in the public realm. And of course, isn't that just the energy of Leo is having to be vulnerable in the the eyes of, of other people um, and seeking validation. So um, that's a really fascinating one. The other one is August of 2008. Uh, let me pull this up too. This one's a little farther in orbit. It's at nine degrees of Leo. This is the year that her conservatorship is established. So, um, 2008 is when, um, you know, she had, uh, she had divorced, um, Kevin Federline. She had had her sons and, you know, she had been making a lot of public displays of, you know, her, her mental instability and just overwhelm at this time. And so her conservatorship was put into place, um, in 2008. What I find extremely fascinating is looking at her chart by progression so if I pull this up to um, mid-2008, we'll just pick um, February. Um, the progressed moon at this point, um, here, what am I looking at as well? No, that's not what I wanted. Uh, mid-2008, let me move this ahead. I'm going to have to go by months. Maybe we could <laughs> get that into Aquarius there. Get it into Aquarius. Get, it, get it into Aquarius. So that is opposition there. Yes. Here we go. So mid-2008, her progressed moon passes over her lunar eclipse point and opposes then her prenatal eclipse at seven degrees of Aquarius opposite seven degrees of Leo. And this is 2008, again, when her conservatorship is established. 
And then by um, progression, if we move to 2021, her moon reaches her prenatal eclipse point as of um, September of 2021, which is the same time that her conservatorship ends. So I find that very, very fascinating that the moon for her is really signifying these um, chapters of her life when she's going through, you know, coming into a point of kind of like family exile and restriction. And by the time the moon reaches its prenatal eclipse point, there's a release there. Um, there's freedom that's, that's happening for her. Yeah. And well, and it's so interesting, um, to think about, well, a, that first eclipse that you brought up when the conservator, uh, ship started is, was a South node eclipse versus that yes. North node one that was bringing her the, the fame, the glitz and the glitter. Right. Um, and then watching this progress of that, uh, that South node, uh, you know, solar eclipse and then ha- and then the progressed moon that was connected with it. And that had to go through a halfway cycle, mm-hmm. um, with bringing up once again, children, because a part of the conservatorship when it started, uh, had her children taken away from her to some extent. And part of the conservatorship when it ended was about her wanting the freedom and, uh, the right to have a child if she chooses, you know, that was a big yeah. thing behind both um, you know, bookends of time for her was yep. the, uh, the children factor. So that really plays into the Leo. Uh, and of course, just her natal moon there, um, in yeah. the fifth house of children too. Yeah. So really, really interesting. Um, just how those major, you know, those major times in her life are being spotlit by progressed, you know, her progressed moon, um, but also by transit and, you know, via the, the eclipse cycles. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting when the, you know, the, the moon and the nodes come back into this place again, what she's got going on in her life. Um, so that's, that's Brittany. She's like, give me a break. She's like, no, that's a life. Brittany alone. <laughs> oh, well, that was a great example of, yeah. of Brittany. Um, makes, makes a lot of sense there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another really interesting one is Whitney Houston. Um, I'm going to pull up her oh, another diva where we are on diva another train diva. diva. <laughs> yes. So if we look at Whitney's chart here, she was born on August 9th of 1963. Um, here we've got another Leo sun, um, an Aries moon and, um, a Pisces rising and her prenatal, her prenatal eclipse happened on July 20th of 1963 at 27 degrees of cancer which um opposite Brittany fell in her 5th house so you know her lunar eclipse her accompanying lunar eclipse is in her 11th house so she's also got this 5th and 11th house activation which is really interesting being another um singer and uh you know uh you know pillar in 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 um in modern culture So the sign of cancer being important here in terms of experiencing emotionally and spiritually fulfilling relationships. And, you know, part of the challenge with cancer is emotional extremes being stumbling blocks, and there can be a tendency to hide and withdraw. Um, And that can be, you know, the challenge, the the more the karmic challenge of the prenatal eclipse in, in cancer, as well as emotional attachment or codependency. Um, but within the fifth house, this is learning lessons of, of how to, how to love unselfishly, um, how to need, um, 
or how to overcome selfish desires and to utilize her fifth house assets in order to move through karmic situations. And with the fifth house, um, for if you have your prenatal eclipse in the fifth house, there's also um, a connection to children, children offering spiritual support or karmic ties to children. What I find really interesting about this for Whitney is that her daughter, Bobby Christina, and her have shared really similar, kind of eerily similar experiences yes. in their life. Oh, I got chills yeah. just thinking about it. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and Brittany would bring her, or excuse me, Whitney would bring Bobby <laughs> on, um, on tour with her. And she gained custody of her after her divorce from Bobby Brown in 1997. Um, and Brittany, Brittany, Bobby, there's all these like similar names here. <laughs> I know. This is just funny. I know. Uh, Bobby Christina was also an aspiring singer, but you know, she also spent most of her childhood watching her mom and her dad battle drug addiction. Um, and both, both Whitney and Bobby Christina, you know, passed away after being found unconscious in bathtubs due to drug intoxication. Um, also interesting is that Bobby Christina's natal moon is in the same decan of cancer as Whitney's prenatal eclipse. Um, it's not exact, Whitney, Whitney's eclipse at 27 cancer, Bobby Christina's moon is at 22 degrees. So, um, still, still, it's pretty close, still noticeable. I will say with prenatal eclipses in cancer, moon transits and progressions are very strong influences. And we see that with her, um, uh, in 1992, if I pull up chart here, um, there was eclipse. Oh, here. Yes, it's interesting to see her, um, just her nodal access to begin with at the bendings is the moon and Jupiter together in Aries. Yeah. So it, it even adds it, more to it, thinking about the ruler of her North node and that prenatal eclipse being uh, square that configuration. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying is, you know, really getting to know the chart is, is, is such an important part of that. And, you know, we could spend hours going through all of the <laughs> implications, but I wanted to extract some of the, some of the major, um, major points here, but she has a very interesting chart. Another one to look at by progression. That's really fascinating. So 1992, we had a solar eclipse um, at 13 degrees with the North node here in Capricorn, which is on her, um, th this is where her lunar eclipse was. So mm. there is a her, you know, the lunar component activation here in her 11th house. Um, and then if we move to, so this just kind of sets up what's going on at this time in her life. Um, because by January 18th of 1992, oh, excuse me, July, oh my gosh, July 18th, 1992, she marries Bobby Brown. Um, and look where the sun is when the day that she's gets married Oh, at 26 degrees of cancer, right on that North <laughs> or on that prenatal eclipse. Yeah. So yeah, she marries Bobby Brown. Um, the sun is activating her prenatal eclipse. Um, and around the same time in her life, this is when the bodyguard was released. You know, that was a really big movie in the soundtrack. Um, and she and Bobby also have a really interesting chart, especially synastry, but looking also at the prenatal eclipse, her prenatal eclipse falls into Bobby's seventh house. Um, his, his seventh house is ruled by cancer and his prenatal eclipse is 29 degrees of Virgo, which also falls in her seventh house. So you can see that the two of them really 
you know, they, they were meant to experience something in this lifetime that was important to their soul growth. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it was always easy or, um, you know, rainbows and butterflies for them, but, you know, they were, they were two people that were very karmically aligned. Um, I, well, Pluto on her descendant, I think is helping that along, uh, yeah. along too. Yes, yes, yes absolutely. Um, yeah, but she's got some interesting activations too. Um, progr- her progressed moon, if I pull up her progressions here, uh, 1985, I believe. With progressions, we can kind of cheat just a little bit here. Um, yeah, her oh, progressed, that's close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her progressed moon was opposite her prenatal eclipse around the time that her album, um, and I forget which one it was that was released in 1985, but this was the album that she released that was certified platinum 13 times. She wins a Grammy that year. Um, also interesting is that her progressed ascendant this year is also conjunct her natal moon. Um, and she's also got a, a progressed sun Venus conjunction around this time. So 1985 was a really big year for her, um, for a lot of different reasons. So, yeah, she was like America's, uh, sweetheart basically. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, those, that's another really good example, but um, yeah, where the prenatal eclipse falls in, you know, in a sinistry chart is, is really fascinating. Diana and Charles, um, are another great example. Diana's, um, prenatal eclipse fell within two degrees of Charles descendant in his seventh house. Um, so that's another really, you know, another one where you could argue a lot of karmic implications there with their relationship. Um, I mean, there's so many, so many examples, Jackie Kennedy and JFK, they have a ton of examples in their chart, um, in terms of where their prenatal eclipses are in each other's chart. Um, just looking at my notes, JFK's prenatal eclipse was opposite Jackie's Mercury and Jackie's Midheaven was conjunct JFK's initial eclipse. So they had a lot, um, going on with their charts too. So yeah, it's just, it's really interesting again, to kind of go back and look in time and to see, um, what was happening in people's lives around these activations. And of course, in our own lives too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely fascinating to think about. And of course, uh, I'm going to leave this broadcast and go, <laughs> and go just pull up my chart and, the, and, and track it a little bit more. Um, it's interesting that you used a couple examples uh, in detail with the fifth and the 11th house. Cause for me, I mean, that's, what's activating for me. So I have what I feel like there, there's a lot of components and seeing Britney's and thinking about Britney's too, because what was unique about Britney's as opposed to Whitney's <laughs> is that um, the eclipse itself was in a different sign axis rather than the, right. the uh, natal um, lunar nodal position, lunar nodal, <laughs> the nodal position. Yeah, um, the nodal. So that's something to think about as well too. And uh, yeah. So it, you know, with anything in astrology and any technique, what it, you, you, you take it all in and then you put it to application. You just pull up charts. You see where it connects with yourself and your loved ones, your family, your friends, your, your spouses or significant others and, or past significant others. It seems yeah. like there's a lot of, that you can, there's a lot. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's always a thought with like, oh, well, your exes, you know, they stay in the past and you know, what purpose did they serve? Well, sometimes it's really a major purpose in your life. And, um, I think that the, the study at least of the prenatal eclipse can give a lot of validation to a lot of the hardship and struggle that we experience as human beings. You know, it's, um, perhaps it's all the Sagittarius in my chart that likes to take a look at, you know, hard situations or challenges and and look at, well, what's, what's the wisdom that I've gained from this? You know, what growth have I gained from this? What, what purpose did it serve? You know, what can I take away from that? Um, and at least to just, again, to kind of identify what some of these patterns are and make them conscious can be helpful as, as they continue to either repeat or as we're kind of coming full circle to our talk about eclipses and making sure that we're, you know, acknowledging the work that we need to do, that that can help to, to kind of sever or to, um, to remedy some of these um, cycles in our life that could be really debilitating or toxic or, you know, challenging generationally, whatever, it, whatever it may be for you. Yeah. And so since we're getting close to eclipses, you know, I have to say that anybody that was born in like maybe 85, 86 mm-hmm. or uh, 75, 76, give or take you you know, if you have a, a Taurus Scorpio nodal axis now, as you, we already had an example earlier that, you know, prenatal eclipse might not be exactly in that axis. You might've had it, well, you know, with the, the Sagittarius Gemini energy, but, um, uh, you in particular might want to, <laughs> to check that out and look at where you're at with that. And, and same for anybody that has a progressed moon that is currently moving through, uh, that energy either by mm-hmm. conjunction or opposition, as we saw both were, uh, potent in the examples that were shown here today. So, uh, investigate, see, see what's going on now, see what happened before, and maybe even look into the future. So you can see it see it coming to some extent, as much as one can, you know, we as can much be... as one can. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I yeah. thank you, Hannah, for sharing all this wonderful information with us oh, here today. Um, you know, I love a good rabbit hole. And I think, uh, we have done our just Scorpio jobs to send many. We pushed <laughs> them down into, yeah into a new area of study. Cause you know, listen, I'm going to be doing this later today or probably tomorrow looking at charts. And it's always like, who do I share this with? Who wants to hear about this? <laughs> Whose DMS can I slide into and just like share my findings? So, um, this is a good outlet to, to, to encourage other people to just have some fun with it. And, um, yeah, you know, come with, again, come up with your own techniques and see what, what's starting to work for you. If you want to apply a more traditional lens to it, um, start to see what clicks. Um, I've got, like, like I said, I'm, I've been researching this for a little over a year now, and, um, I'm just so fascinated by all the ways that it still works. And I think that's just the, the beauty of astrology is it doesn't really matter what house system you use or, you know, through which lens you want to perceive. It always seems to work, uh, which is cool. So. I know it's funny. Well, it's, it's magical in that way. It's like any yeah. way you slay, everybody's like, you know, this is the technique or this is the way or like, and I'm like, any way you come at it, 
chances are we're going to say the same thing, but in different ways. It always happens. It's like, um, it reminds it to harken back to uh, Bernadette and Eagle and the Lark. To me, that's very much the Eagle and the Lark, you know, it's like the intellect, you know, dissecting it in the ways and the uh, different techniques, but then it's the intuition that comes in and says, this is what's important. These are the connections that you're making on more of a uh, abstract sort of creative uh, way. So um, yeah, we're basically all ego and larking it uh, <laughs> with our different techniques. Look here. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Well, before we go here, Hannah, where can people find you? What do you got going on? Uh, tell us, tell us the deets. Yeah. So, um, you can find me on social media. It's at divine sky mystic. And my website is divine sky I've got an email list where, um, I promise I won't send too much. In fact, I don't send a ton, but when I do, you know, that it's like, it's potent. I've got something important to say or to share with you. Um, I don't have anything new coming up at the moment. I'm doing a lot of one-on-one work right now with individual clients, helping them plan their 2022, um, which has been really fun. And in fact, a lot of my clients um, are having their nodal return this year. So the eclipses are really relevant for them. And actually quite a few of them also have um, uh, a lunar time lord. So, and I'm also in a lunar year by, uh, by time Lord. So again, eclipses being very front and center for me this year. Um, but I'm very active on Instagram and, um, I do also have a, uh, humble little podcast called the light body podcast, um, where I do discuss astrology as well as other spiritual musings. If you want to connect with me there as well. Wonderful. So of course I will share all of Hannah's information over on my page on energeticprinciples.com. Uh, you can also find me over at energetic principles on Instagram, uh, where I've been having fun making, uh, funny, reels. I, my reels. Yes, I'm like, I, love your reels. I, you know what it's, I just love creating I love creating visuals. I love adding music to things. And so it's a fun new way for me to interact with astrology and in a very basic way, you know, I'm not telling you like the, the in-depth things that we're talking about here today. It's very, it's meant to entertain you. So if you like to be entertained, uh, come on over to my Instagram and you can see those reels and such. Um, just a reminder, I have my uh, heavenly wind newsletter that comes out at the beginning of each month. So if you want to sign up to my mailing list, uh, come on over to the website to do that. And, uh, like Hannah was saying, I hardly send out anything. I'm probably sending that out once a month. And that's it. That's all you get. And, and it's a good part, one. It's <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. So come on over, sign up for that. Uh, if you think that people need to know about prenatal eclipses, uh, or just eclipses in general, cause we did do a little juicy, uh, you know, uh, talk up of what's coming here in the skies in a couple of weeks, you know, share it with a friend, spread the good word. Uh, if you want to leave a review, wherever you listen to this podcast, that helps it be boosted in the rankings, wherever, uh, you happen to be listening to it. And, uh, yeah, really, um, this is such a fascinating topic and I'm so glad you came to share it with me here today, Hannah. Thanks for having me on and to, you know, to just tell you all the things, <laughs> <laughs> tell me all the things. I want to hear all the things, um, always. So I, uh, welcome you back anytime. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 
All right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning in. We hope you got a lot from this broadcast. It has you thinking about eclipses uh, here in the future and eclipses of the past. Um, so good luck with <laughs> good luck with those clipsins. Um, and as always, may the stars be with you. Mm-hmm.